Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. Hello, I'm Dylan Martello. This episode, we are discussing the topic of healthy buildings. On this episode, we have Sarah Nugent from Stephen Winter Associates guest hosting. Sarah is a sustainability director on SWA's Sustainable Building Services team. And in her day-to-day work, Sarah consults on high-performance, sustainable commercial projects and has extensive experience in LEED, WELL, and the FitWell standards, all of which feature health as a primary focus. Sarah spoke with John Sara Ruth. John Sara is a co-founder and design director of the Healthy Materials Lab at Parsons School of Design in New York City. She is also the founding director of the Progressive MFA Interior Design Program at Parsons. And in addition to that, she is a designer and artist of her own and has her own design collective called Salty Labs, where she puts her ideas to practice. In this episode, Sarah and John Sara talk about what does it actually mean for a building to be healthy? Where are the common pain points regarding health and wellness in buildings? What building materials can harm human health, or rather, Are there building materials or systems that actually enhance human health? It's an incredibly informative episode, and without further ado, please enjoy. Just to start off, when you're talking about health and healthy buildings, uh, what do you think is a healthy building, and what goes into that um, on your end? Mm -hmm. You know, at the Healthy Materials Lab, we have a strong and passionate team, and so when we talk about the word health, we, we think about like what is a healthier building? Mm-hmm. What is a truly healthy building? And what is the healthiest? <laughs> you know, that right. there are these, you know, grades of healthy. So a, a healthier building means that it does not negatively impact the health of the people living inside. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of bottom line. Like let's make buildings that don't negatively impact people's health. Right. A truly healthy building does a lot more than that. You know, in our mind, that means that the materials that are used to make that building during their life cycle also don't have a negative impact on human health or all living beings' health or on the ecologies that surround it. So, and we, so we look at it, we um, look at materials throughout their life cycle. Right. We trace from the raw material extraction, transportation to a production site, transportation to um, you know, a processing site maybe, and to a production site, and then eventually into a building material that's transported to um, either a distributor or um, a, a building site itself. And throughout that life cycle, how does that material impact people, all living species, water systems, soil systems, and of course our atmosphere, the greenhouse gas emissions. So, so if, you know, if we say like what's a truly healthy building, mm-hmm. that would be like materials that don't impact in the in-use phase, but also don't, neg- don't leave like negative impacts or traces throughout that life cycle and then through to its disposal or recyclability or biodegradable. Okay. And then I would say like one more thing, Sarah. Yeah, please. Um, even though I'm <laughs> just expanding on this a bit. Uh, please, which is, yeah. You know, what we look forward to is the healthiest materials. And, you know, these are few and far between, but those that not only do everything right in terms of its life cycle, but also that when it's installed, it makes 
you know, it acts as, it performs as a filter or it performs to make the indoor air even better. Right. You know, that it actually absorbs carbon from the atmosphere while it's there. It contributes to healthier indoor air. You know, there's budgets that people have to keep in mind and scopes that people have to keep in mind when they're constructing or renovating. And, you know, a question I'll be posing to you later is if you only had three materials that you could you know, improve or what, what are like the main three materials that you always advise folks optimize, you know, um, if you have a limited budget or scope, or if you could do everything pie in the sky, which is kind of what I'm feeling like the last tier is like the healthiest kind of regenerative materials pie in the sky, right. where budget's not a cost, you know, if you could do everything, of course, right. Like, yeah. So it is, it, it is a spectrum, right, of you want to do the least harm and then do the most good that you can, but strike that chord or strike that balance of the triple bottom line, right? To make sure that all of those aspects are are kept in mind. Yeah, That's, yeah it's really sure. fascinating. Like what, right. what can you do right now, like yes. today or tomorrow? And what do we aspire to do in the future? Right. Um, and so I guess for, for that to that point regarding the what should you do right now, um, you know, just the state of the built environment in general, I think we've come a long way. <laughs> um, I think one thing born out of the pandemic is there's a little bit of increased knowledge across folks that aren't in the building industry in terms of what health really means and what aspects, again, like what's that minimum floor that you should have in every building. Um, but a lot of folks don't have control over where they work and live, right? They don't have control over the filters, if they're, if you're getting any outdoor air and you're built, right? Like a lot of residential projects don't have ventilation. Um, what do you think would need to change from say our business as usual? And I guess, again, there's kind of these two aspects. If you have control of the construction or if you're an occupant. So yeah, so the first option, I mean, obviously, like you just said, you know, the first step is just the awareness that mm -hmm. this is an issue and building that awareness is something we think about all the time. Like all the time, right. Just have to uh, bring everybody up to speed with the science. Yes. You know, I mean, we talk about it all the time that designers and architects have a lot on their plate. So there's much. There's a <laughs> lot going on and there's a lot yes. of responsibility to make sure Build a building that won't fall down, right? Exactly. Like, that, that's the first part, yes. <laughs> Don't kill anybody with Don't your building. Don't kill anyone, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and keep the water out, mm -hmm. you know, Keep the energy efficiency high, you know. Yes. So there's a lot of responsibilities that we yes. have. Um, so it's it's an added responsibility to say, and the health of the occupants depend on the kinds of materials that you choose. Mm -hmm. So that awareness, I think you're right. I, I think you're, that during the pandemic, when people were spending a lot of time inside, some or like in their own homes, people started to become more aware of what's around them. Weirdly, yes. I mean, right. we always do. I mean, there's that crazy statistic that is fundamental, which is we spend 90, we're the first generation to spend 90% of our time indoors. And during pandemic, it obviously was much higher. Exactly. <laughs> right? You just exactly. never left your park. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're more aware of what what's around us, what are we breathing, what makes us happier? <laughs> you know, I think a lot yes. of people did renovations. Yeah. Um, so there's just more awareness, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot who don't, who aren't aware because there's just so many other factors to yes. going to build a building. So, the first thing is like know what's in your materials. 
Know yep. that the material, well, first, I think very first step is know that materials impact your health in the same way that food impacts your health. You know, or there's the you know, UN social determinants of health. There's a lot of determinants that impact our physical and mental well-being. But materials of buildings are one of them. Right. Yes. So as, as soon as we have that awareness, then we can start to say, well, let's find out what the ingredients are inside that are toxic and eliminate them. You know, it's a, I mean, I think that's kind of the next step. But then how do, that means that we need to know what those ingredients are. So which brings us to material transparency and this kind of advocacy that designers and architects can um, step into, which is just asking, asking vendors, asking, you know, uh, fabricators, asking uh, manufacturers is the word I meant to say, asking mm. manufacturers what's inside the material that I want to use on this, in this building. And just that act of saying what's in it is a huge advocacy for just uh, this movement towards transparency, movement towards um, advocating for all materials manufacturers to declare what's yes. inside the materials that, that we're building. In the same way that like, Nutrition labels on food have to say this is what's inside. Yes. So we often just make that correlation. Like if we know that food impacts our life or our health and we can look at those ingredients, then let's also just know that materials impact our health and look at those ingredients. And then we can start to choose healthier materials. And then like the final piece is, not the final, but one of the main pieces is, and then let's make those materials also affordable. Also educating, <clears throat> again, the designers on what they're specifying and what goes into them, but then also the owners, right, that are ultimately building the building and underscoring the need for healthy materials just as much as insulation or just as much as, you know, the window-to-wall ratio, right? Like those things that go into an efficient building, underscoring the need for for healthy materials just as much. And I'm sure that you've seen this, this is the work that you do the past five or so years, a huge uptick in the amount of materials that are that have disclosures. Yes. It's it's really been just a skyrocketing, right? Just this precipitous increase that we found. You know, again, we we do lead projects, well projects, fit well projects for new construction projects. That's my my background, mm. um, commercial. And okay. And when lead version four came out, we didn't really know about the disclosures, right? It was this brand new thing. We weren't certain about it. So we weren't really advising projects to pursue it because we just didn't know, right? We just didn't know enough information. And what we found in that five-year look back is almost every manufacturer is providing these, these disclosures. Um, again, like environmental product declarations, health product declarations, the declare labeling, cradle to cradle, like all of those things, right, are what we take into account. And so that I find very heartening, right? And very positive in terms of the information available so that folks, designers and owners can make those informed decisions. I'm mm -hmm. sure that you've seen the same thing and that that feeds into the work that your lab does, um, right? At gathering all of that and making it publicly available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We work closely with the Health Product Declaration Collaborative. We're funded by the same source of funding, actually mm -hmm. the same project. Wow. And the project is called the Healthy Affordable Materials Project. And so we're all working on this kind of same goal, which is to make healthy materials affordable and right. especially to be used, you know, the big audacious goal is to um, transform affordable housing to be healthy. 
Okay. For, for a couple of reasons, so that they're all, so that healthier materials are affordable, but yeah. also so that people who don't have the privilege of choosing what's inside their homes can have a healthy home. Right. And you know, we advocate for people at those lower incomes who rely on social housing or subsidized housing to have the healthiest home. Because if they can, then anybody can. Yes. Anyway, so we work closely with the Health Product Declaration Collaborative, um, which, you know, HPDs, produces yes. HPDs, and, you know, now, you know, their versions are just getting better and better, and I'm sure you're very familiar with them, because now they're reporting, okay, first it was, what are the ingredients in a material? Right, like, what just are there? I guess just for the audience, let's just walk through it, right? Um, just what is in there, right? What's in the, in the product itself, and then to optimize, right, to go above and beyond in terms of the amount of materials that are disclosed, right? That's the next step. Yeah, and then to identify if there's any hazards or, you know, potential harmful ingredients in a material. And, you know, can this be linked to some kind of health harm? You know, and that's the next step. That's the next version. But when they, when they negotiated to have this disclosure as part of lead four, that was a huge step. It's great to hear huge. you say that oh, that yeah. was the turning point for you. That's it really, really important information. Yeah. Because, you know, certifications, you know, these kind of agendas that builders have or owners have to have a certified building to show that, yes, we're, we're reaching these sustainability criteria is definitely a driver for a lot of these things. Um, yeah, it's, sometimes it's a very personal decision of mm -hmm. owners. You know, mm -hmm. like they find out about this stuff and they're like, oh, I don't want it for do my it. family. I'm not going right. to do it for my work. Right. And sometimes it comes through certification. Like I want to achieve this certification and therefore I will look for materials transparency. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, you know, I'm thinking a lot about Robin Gunther, who's a thought leader in this area, you know, for decades mm. um, from Perkins and Will. She was a great mentor for me. Mm. And, you know, she um, likened looking at material ingredients to like Michael Pollan's food rules. Okay, okay. And I think she and Tom Lent put together like the material rules, which are very similar. Like if it has this long list of ingredients, get skeptical, mm, you know? Yeah, if you yeah. can't pronounce it, you might not want to <laughs> use it. You know, like those same kind of very common sense rules. And mm. it does apply. Yeah, of course, right? Because the natural materials, the naturally derived products are likely going to be the healthier ones, right? Then inherently not emitting or inherently non-toxic, right? That's really fascinating. Anything else that you recall from her material rules? Yeah, I'd have to look them up again, but it's it's very simple. Um, right. Yeah, it's just it's trying to not over sense. Mm -hmm. Like ask what's inside. Like just like you would if it you know, the more natural it is, the less processed it is, the more you want it. I yeah, we'll have to link. Them. We'll link it in the in the notes. Yeah, uh, that would be great. No, that's and and to honor her uh, memory. Yeah, yeah, um, she's really changed the healthcare industry in a huge way with mm, her work. And okay. uh, in addition to to all of it, oh, I remember yeah. her saying like she had her own body burden test done. You know, where you can test your blood for um, chemicals. Oh, wow. Okay, and like um, particulates or thing. Okay, got it. Mostly the chemicals, and it was mm. when she did it early. I think in the two thousands or. Or uh, maybe late two thousands, it was really hard to do, and it was really expensive, and it was top secret. And I'm wow. not sure if it's not quite as as difficult. But she said, you know, my blood has a lot to, a lot of similarity to the ingredients of industrial carpet. Wow. 
And so yeah, we invited her, I invited her to come and speak at Parsons and she showed this slide of all the ingredients that are used in, in carpet, industrial carpet. And she said, and then she highlighted all those ingredients that showed up in her own blood test. Oh my you know, goodness, test. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is crazy. Like these things are making their way into, into our your bodies. bodies. Well, right, and all of the information about microplastics, right, being in our bloodstream because they break down in the environment and then it just get you drink it, right? Or you eat yeah. food that, yeah. I mean, it just, again, it's the circular, thinking about the circularity of the product is something that folks, again, I think until past five years, hadn't really been thinking about. Yeah. I think that's right. And you know, that microplastics example is a really good one because we hear about microplastics all the time in the ocean and it feels like, oh, all those water bottles. But actually, that new report that came out, I don't know if you saw this like a year ago, that said they, they looked, examined the microplastics in the ocean and found that over 50% of them come from paint. Wow. And just about 50%, I think, is from architectural paint which means it's on us. It's on us. As designers wow. and architects, we can use paints that don't have synthetics. Yes. Yeah. We can yes. use non-plastic paint. There's a lot of, there's centuries of history to prove it. And then there's a lot of new great products out there that are not plastic based. So wow. microplastics in the ocean, they get inside of us. Then our ingredients inside of us, like mirror plastics, we can avoid a lot of that just by changing our paint changing just that one product right yeah. I mean so is that would that be your your one to change absolutely <laughs> paints, 100% okay. it's number 100% one paint it's easy okay. yeah it's, yeah, it's like easy it, yes yeah mm-hmm. and you know what we do at Healthy Materials Lab is we you know we are funded by philanthropy so that mm-hmm. we can offer free resources we do the research to right. say here's a selection of examples of bio-based paint mineral paint um, you know, in you know, in the minerals, there's several kinds of minerals. There's clay, there's lime, there's um, potassium silicate. In the bio-based, mm. there's linseed oil, there's cellulose-based mm. paint. You know, the soy, like there's different kinds of uh, bio-based and mineral-based paints that have been tried and true. You know, especially, of course, in the Scandinavian countries, mm. they're... And you know, in Germany, they're they're ahead of us on a lot yes, of this, and so, right. but which is great because they've tested it, they've tested the viability and the, yes. the performance, and they're now becoming available in the states just in the last couple of years, which is super exciting. That is super exciting. Wow, yeah. And again, you know, we work on typically, you know, commercial projects, higher education, but also K through twelve hospitals, you know, um, where you know you have more sensitive groups and. But just thinking about thinking about that holistically, or all of the different people that use buildings, you're going to have sensitive groups in all types of buildings, everywhere, you know, right. everywhere. So, um, all that's to say, commonly specified. Pro- every building has paint. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. <gotta> paint, <laughs> and it's on like typically. I mean, not always, but often it's on like five surfaces in our little rooms. Like, yes, <laughs> it's you know ceiling, walls, like it's. It's yeah. a lot of the surface area. And so yes. if we follow the science and say what we're exposed to over the course of our life impacts our health yeah. more than genetics, you know, and that's the exposome research that's happening headed wow. by some folks at Mount Sinai. But to say like we, more we than used genetics. to it, wow. yeah, like we used to attribute all these cancers and big scary diseases to genetics, but actually genetics 
in this science makes up 10% of disease and the rest is exposure and lifestyle. So if we think that what we're exposed to, right. if we're in our home office or if we're you know, in our schools or if we're in our workplaces or in the hospital, it's like, what's the surface area? It's exactly. Paint. paint. Literally paint like surrounded huge... by it, yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, wow. the other is flooring, of course, yes. right. which is another one, but also an easy change. But, you know, yeah, I say paint and flooring. Paint and flooring, okay. Because those are... what you experience as an occupant, right? That's like the first layer. So would you say that finishes should be given paramount focus versus kind of the other architectural materials like gypsum or insulation because of that? Because we can literally touch it, right? Like we can actually interact with those materials. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, gypsum and insulation are also very important because the dust from both of those products yes. gets into our spaces, and you know yes. that right. from the particulates, of of course, and can be have trace. Oh yeah, right. Of toxics all over, but yes. But if we think about surface area and the, the final, I mean, it's always interesting just to think about a wall section. Yes. But the innermost layer is that paint, which is you know, I don't know, so interesting. I don't know. Yes. I, we thought, well, let's focus on paint for a year and then the next year we'll focus on another material. And like, we've been focused on paint for like <laughs> six or seven years. You know, or eight. Like, it's yeah. so interesting. Right, but you know, I'm sure it's opened up and then you open one door and then you learn something new and then it opens another door and, you, and then, yeah, six years go by. <laughs> well, also because, you know, we use paint as, you know, in design, we use paint as a vapor barrier. Yes, As right. the final, on the mm-hmm. exterior walls. Yeah. Which means that vapor and air cannot come inside from outside. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that that vapor or that moisture gets trapped right behind the paint yes, and then can grow mold and all kinds of things. Likewise, everything that's on our interior air yep. gets trapped inside. And we know also now that the inter- indoor air can be three to five times more polluted than outdoor air. So if we're trapping our air inside with this kind of plastic wrap of paint, mm. and we're trapping ourselves into like super polluted indoor air. Right. right. If we think about this whole thing differently and we say an exchange of the outdoor and indoor air is valuable to health, to insul- thermal insulation, to um, the kind of performance of a building so that moisture does not get trapped in the wall, we think about this thing totally differently. Right. Wow. Then we need vapor permeable paint, which is like mineral paint. Okay. It's fabulous. And it's now, I mean, it used to be that mineral paint, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries ago, mineral paint was basically limestone that had been cooked, mm. changes its molecular structure, becomes quicklime mm. or calcium carbonate, gets mixed with water and you know, painted on buildings, but it comes off, you know. Okay. It, and I think that's generally why it went out of fashion because it, it kind of comes off. You know, if you go to the center of Rome, for example, and you see after a rainy day, you sometimes see the pigment at the edge of the building where the okay. building meets the street because mm. it kind of washes off. Mm. But now with new technologies and new understanding about this, a lot of those mineral paints are made to be super durable, scrubbable okay. even. Wow. We don't have those same issues. Yes, they're adding small percentages of binders that keep them 
you know, keep those pigments and that paint held against the wall. But um, there's so much better for all of us in all ways and right. throughout that life cycle. Again, going back to, you know, if, if you had to focus on specific materials to prevent or specific materials to optimize in a product, um, are there any others that are really, you know, typically commonly specified that you would say, you know, kind of your top five that should be optimized for health or again, or, you know, in terms of carbon, human health, uh, or equity, you know, the, the, the different facets that you guys um, include in your, in your lab? Yeah. I mean, we talk about vinyl a lot as, as one of a top, a top ingredient to eliminate. Yeah. To really just not include in any project because it has a very high carbon footprint. Yes. Embodied carbon, again. Yes, like right. If we calculate the embodied carbon, it has a very high cost to health across its life cycle. And you know we know just even from this you know the recent um, train disaster oh, in Ohio, yes, right? Mm-hmm. That was carrying vinyl chloride for the production of vinyl. Like, yes. So it's it's affecting all of us in all different ways. And, yes. Uh, we actually Robin Goodthere was a big um, champion of eliminating vinyl from wow. healthcare. Okay. Like, yeah. This is a carcinogen. Why are we putting it in a cancer center? Like why? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> but it's so, again, I people mean, don't know, right? People aren't putting the pieces together or, right. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so flooring, for example, mm-hmm. has a lot of PV. You know, there's a lot of yeah. luxury vinyl tile. There's yes. a lot of yeah. luxury vinyl now. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. You know, great marketing term, luxury. Yes. <laughs> uh, and... You know, vinyl is used in all parts. It's used in you know pieces of you know the the backing of carpet, for example, or yep. a yep. lot of interior products, especially commercial projects, have include vinyl, including mm. you know plumbing, piping, you know those kinds of things. But like secondary, tertiary products include well, sorry, secondary tertiary materials in products will contain vinyl. Yeah. Exactly, because we think about a product, a building product, it's not one material. Never. It's usually a list of many things that are kind of like sandwiched together to make that performance value. And then we have to like look at the ingredients of each one of those layers yes. in a way. This web, right, just webs out, yeah, yeah. The other way we think about it is, you know, what are the chemical classes and, you know, that we um, could avoid, for example... And our other colleagues, Green Science Policy Institute, has done a lot of work in that to say, you know, there's 86,000 chemicals or more that are produced in the United States. Very few of them are regulated. Right. Oh, so it's, what if, it's very few. Right. What if we just put those into classes? And so they've categorized as six classes plus formaldehyde and say, why don't we just try eliminating a class of chemicals? Okay. Just one or, of those six. Yeah, like okay. I mean, we celebrate every step yes, here. Yes, like, of course, right. You know, eliminate PVC, vinyl. Eliminate flame retardant chemicals oh, if you yes. can. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Eliminate formaldehyde from wood products. Like these kinds of things. The formaldehyde piece has also become much easier than it was fifteen oh, yeah. years ago. I was, it's wild, right? It's wild how yeah. how far that's come to. Yes. So yeah, that that's another strategy focus on the class and see if you can prevent it. And again, aspirations, right? It's okay if some products you just can't get, right? You can, maybe can't get a, a replacement, right? But 
be thoughtful about what you're specifying and try to do your best to remove, yeah, aspirationally one of those six classes. I think that's an excellent thing that we could come out of today, right? It's like try and find one class that you can remove or review your specs and where is there a PVC material that you can remove, right? Where's something exactly. that you can replace, yeah. The PFAS chemicals mm. have gotten a lot of attention yes. recently in the last couple of years, which is so great because now, I mean, it's horrible because now it's found in so much drinking water around yes. the country. Right. And it comes from the production of these chemicals that are like ubiquitous. So if we can say, let's not specify materials that have perf- perfluorinated chemicals or PFAS chemicals, we'd be so much better. In fact, yes. the Healthy Building Network just um, put out a white paper, I think, that talked about paint. So a lot of paints now have PFAS. Wow. PFAS is found in paint. Another reason not to use plastic-based paints, acrylic, latex. Yeah. yeah. So we can say that's a class of chemicals. You know, do we really need like the that quality of stain repellency on everything? Do we really need a stone sealer if we can specify a granite top, countertop, for example, that doesn't need a stone sealer? Better. Right. Or porcelain. You know, porcelain large format porcelain slabs. Now we have. Mm. Great. Doesn't need a PFAS stone sealer. So let's just eliminate. Eliminate. That. Right. Hmm. And PFAS, again, for the folks that might not be as familiar, is the, the forever chemical that's now found in drinking water. It's not really regulated by the EPA. There is some discussions and um, submissions to them to, to regulate it, but I had read that there was some they were lagging right on on whether or not PFAS should be regulated and banned um that it's been within like the past 6 months right yeah. yeah but it's it's on their radar which is yes it's amazing. on their radar right yeah but if there's what did you say 60,000 different types of chemicals that are manufactured in America and i think it's only almost like 100,000 100,000 yeah. and i think only like 150 are banned from the EPA um and of course that goes into like PCBs and, and lead and, and all of those, you know, asbestos, all of those are what are, are banned. But there are all these other chemicals which pose human harm, which are not yet banned. Um, it is great to see that they're thinking about <laughs> banning yeah, it. Exactly. But I mean, I think, you know, we've just, just recently, just in the last couple weeks, there are communities that are trying to pass these bans, like in Minnesota. Wow. They're passing a comprehensive PFAS ban. In Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Which it, so there are these bans that are starting to happen. And um, it's, it's promising. Yes. Uh, other countries are you know, much more strict than we are before we are. But I, it, it, it's promising that our country is actually um, you know, getting on the bandwagon and realizing how harmful it actually is. Right, because it's also it's an endocrine disruptor. It has all of these really horrific um, attributes, PFAS in, in general. Um, yeah, and endocrine disruption. Just to like, trans- so like it's so funny, right? Like as designers and architects and builders, we now have to know a little bit about policy. <laughs> we have to know a lot about chemistry. You know, like what is about health? Like what is an endocrine disruptor again? Like that. Those are the hormones in us that regulate our reproductive health, for exactly. example, or thyroid function or and if that goes berserk there's obesity that's related to PFAS exposure there's 
you know, infertility Correct. that's related yes. to PFOS exposure. So, um, yeah, these are these are things that you know. Once you start knowing a little bit about it, and there's more information now that is pretty easy to understand. You realize mm-hmm. how important it is to avoid. Just avoid. Yeah. <laughs> Just avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not to mention it, like you said, it's a forever chemical that stays in our environment forever. Forever. So, right. Uh, Arlene <laughs> Bloomoy says, do you really need it? Like before you specify it, like ask yourself, do I really need this? Yes. Or is there some an alternative that will do will be just fine? Well, it's interesting also that you said that a lot of the materials that have it, it doesn't seem like it's integral to their function. It seems like it's more of a kind of cherry on top in terms of like the durability of that product, because you're saying, right, it was like a sealer for different stones. So the stone will still exist without that coating, right? It'll still function its function. <laughs> right. It might have a stain, like if you use a right. marble, for example. Like, it does get But, you stained, know, if we yes. think of like the beautiful pizzerias in Italy that are made of marble that have no sealer on them, yeah, they've been there for, like, there's this great pizzeria in Rome that I love to go to that's like, you know, stained with the pizza sauce and grease forever. It looks beautiful. Like people like go to efforts to make it look as beautiful as that. Yeah. So it's also our expectation. You know, we have this like yes. cl- cleanliness yes. or perfect, just as new expectation. Like yes. we don't want materials to ever look like they aged Maybe this is our problem as a society. Like mm. we don't want anything to age. Mm. It needs to look wow. new yeah. all the time. But what if we change our expectation? Like, oh, with age, it's going to change and get interesting and yes. different. And we just embrace that. Well, you embrace patina on, materi- on metal materials. You know, we all think patina is, is gorgeous, right? So why, I, that's, I would equate it in that way, right? Why, no, Yeah. <laughs> It's, maybe it's not called patina with marble staining, but maybe we can coin it, coin a term. <laughs> I think we need to, just like they did with luxury vinyl. There you go. <laughs> Branding, rebrand it. Yeah. Yeah, the patina of countertops. <laughs> the the luxury patina of countertops. I mean, a, a marble tomato sauce filled pizza parlor sounds pretty pretty luxurious to me. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious, um, even. Well, in our last few minutes, this has been a really fascinating conversation, Shansara, so I really appreciate it. Um, so again, we were talking about kind of like those top areas that should be focused on. I think we've reviewed them. Um, if there's any other materials that you are really intrigued by in the research you've been doing lately um, or others that you think, again, for affordable housing that you advise be mainly focused on, um, we can focus on those now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit, we touched a little bit on insulation. Right. There's a lot of really interesting alternative insulations that we can use so that we don't have to rely on, you know, expanded polystyrene. Yes. So we do rely on expanded polystyrene, which is, again, made of plastics. It's made of petrochemicals. And because it's made of petrochemicals, which is oil, it's highly flammable, which means Mm -hmm. it's impregnated with harmful flame retardant chemicals. So there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, it's great for th- for you know thermal insulation, but there's a lot of reasons why we should avoid it. Yes. Um, and so so there's a lot, and and so the industry has you know the kind of healthier materials industry has come up with you know kudos to a lot of these manufacturers mm. alternatives that are really pretty good. You know, and um, so some of those are like the 
well, cork is an incredible, like, you know, the again, if we talk about healthiest, yes. then that would be a material that's not only healthy, carbon sequestering, but it's also regenerative. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's quickly regenerative. And cork is one of those, you know, superstar materials because it comes from the bark of a cork tree, mm-hmm. which then grows back. It just grows back. You're not chopping the tree down. Right. Yep. Yeah, and the tree absorbs carbon from the atmosphere and the exposure to cork does not cause any health harm. And so there's a there's a lot of great... So anyway, so there's some great and um, thermal insulations made of cork, 100% cork, mm. which is awesome. And there's so would those be like, used... I'm sorry. Yeah. Would those be used in lieu of a specific type of insulation, like rigid insulation would be... Cork would be used in lieu of that? Exactly. Okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. Great. So yeah, board insulation. Board insulation. Okay, great. Yeah. There's also some great products that are made, made out of other kinds of wood, like wood cellulose that are bound with paraffin wax to make a board. Wow. There's a company out of Germany called Gutex that makes it. But now there's a company in Maine that's it's almost has their product on the market, I okay. think. And again, um, that's an insulation alternative, wood cellulose bound with wax as a replacement for board Insulation. Yeah, wow. exactly. The majority of the percentage is cellulose, wood cellulose okay. in that product. So if we look at the ingredients list, again, like it's pretty simple ingredients, short ingredients yep. list. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the binder is pretty benign also. The, okay. You know, mineral wool as a board or even as a bat yeah. has become really common. Like right. the, yeah, what's your, uh, what's your opinion about mineral wool? Well, I mean, the great thing is that it's better than plastic. Yes. And uh, there are problems. You know, there's formaldehyde that's being used in the making of it, which mm. is problematic. Mm. So we have to weigh the consequences of this. Um, but it's available and it's cost competitive. And I mean, it's more expensive than XPS. But what's your feeling about mineral wool? Well, you know, we're, we try and do similar with how you. Um, when we're talking about kind of good, better, best, you know, we try and specify the products that tick every box, you know, like have a low embodied carbon footprint, have HPDs, are non-emitting, and, you know, have EPDs, right? So we've certainly, and and have recycled content and are manufactured locally, right? So we try and take all of those into account. And, And so because of that, we have been able to find, again, it's gonna be based off, right, if it's rigid or if it's, you know, something like mineral wool, but we're really trying to avoid the XPS products just generally. And yes, we know that there are better manufacturers that use, you know, like more um, eco-friendly blowing agents and all that stuff when they create the product. But but I would say, yeah, mineral we haven't necessarily seen as something that can't tick all those boxes. But we have mm-hmm. to be, again, proactive and thoughtful about making sure that they're all compliant. And that's the work that we do, right? We're making sure to have it be optimized and synergistic across these different categories. Um, kind of, again, make sure that it meets all of the criteria and that kind of upper tier product option. Yeah. yeah, It's great. And the good, better, best is really just another really great strategy. You know, are you aware of um, Healthy Building Network's home free product guidance? I don't know if that uh, one But yeah, yeah, if you want to explain it to the It's just like audience. a red to green spectrum. Like they take like categories. They're not listing exact products, but they're saying in these categories, mm-hmm. like for example, in flooring, if you're looking for resilient flooring, 
Linoleum flooring, okay. floor, you know, sure. flooring that's made from linseed oil, yes. is much better than a vinyl flooring. Than so that would tile. be, yep, yeah, exactly. If it's an so either or, like, take the green one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then some things are in the yellow phase, but if you can't find another alternative, yellow is yellow good, is still better, better than, than red. red. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's these good product guidance, like these spectrums, and I think you know, while we're still waiting for the market to completely change, yes, these are really great strategies. And when they're looking so, at human health, is it similar aspects that your lab also takes into account? So it's not just health, it's also carbon and waste and um, equity. Exactly, Got it. exactly. They're looking at all those issues. Um, but I think generally that product guidance is looking at the exposure. Okay, the exposure know, itself. Got the it. exposure phase. Uh, these are like first steps. Yes. You know, like what are the first steps to getting to healthier buildings and... These are really good strategies. Like it's sometimes it's about swapping out a material, like we've right. been talking about. Yeah, we're not necessarily saying you need to have your whole building be naturally derived, but just make if you have the choice between two types of gypsum and one is cradle to cradle certified and green label plus, and the other isn't. Like let's make the better choice and have the ones that are verified to be healthier and you know have have more environmentally preferable. Right, standards. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And to know that third-party certification is really important and that it's not like an industry association right. certification. And to know the difference between those is a really important step too. That's to a great say, point. Okay, cradle to cradle is a really trusted certification. You know that. You can put it on, we sometimes like have these little cards people can take, like just put this on your desk <laughs> and know that these five resources are really good. They're yes. trusted. They're trusted, yes. Right. And if it's not on there, then you be skeptical about it, you know? And so that's definitely like bottom line. I would say, you know, then the healthiest choice for insulation, if we go back mm, to that, yes, is please. we go back to natural mm-hmm. and mineral-based insulations. We can, again, like look to history and look to the way we did it, but straw bell, you know. Horse hair. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But straw bell is like yeah. taking on a new industry. Like yeah. it's becoming like mass, you know, they're trying to make precast panels. There's also hemp lime, which mm. is, Starting to take hold in the United States as a wall insulation okay. that can be um, that can be either precast or can sprayed in, and you know the ingredients in these are really simple. It's like a plant and a mineral and a little bit of water. Three ingredients, <laughs> you know. So and they're all regenerative, yeah. and many of them, the hemp plant like captures a lot of sequesters carbon while it grows. Like yes. it, it's just another superfood. So. Uh, it's is it cost competitive? Is it super available? Not yet. Right. But I have every reason to believe that it will be soon. Well, and also this that ties back pretty well into just what we've been talking about in general. Like five years ago, the industry wasn't where it is today. Right? HPDs, EPDs, all of these labelings weren't nearly as prolific as they are now. So that's not to say that these products that you've listed, right? The hemp. Um, I'm sorry, hemp, hemp lime, and the straw bale um, materials won't be in a few years, right? You know, the industries are continually trying to be innovative, and but also we as consumers have a lot of power. We as specifiers have a lot of power to get the manufacturers to do the right thing. You know, if, if exactly. we stop buying XPS in general because it's terrible for your health and it's terrible for its global warming potential, then hopefully. <laughs> The building industry, right? The manufacturing industry will just stop producing that material in that way. Exactly. 
I mean, I think about like so much, so many resources, so much money goes into research and, you know, uh, in about really like research evaluation um, and development and new technologies. Mm, mm -hmm. Why don't these big companies do the same kind of research and development in some of, with some of these natural ingredients. Like if that amount of money went in, if you know, if we poured the billions of dollars that go into R&D for the petrochemical industry, oh, right. instead yeah. we put them into, you know, like agriculturally based project products, mm-hmm. plant, we would be in a great spot in a few years. Yes, you know? right. The innovations that could come out of that, right. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, there's so much potential. So much potential, yeah. yeah. So um, as we wrap, um, I do just want to ask you one last question. Um, you know, again, we kind of just talked about five-year look back. Um, one question we like to ask on all of our episodes is if uh, if we have you back on the podcast five years from now, what do you hope we're talking about? Um, or where do you hope maybe the industry has moved? Yeah. Well, obviously, we're talking about a shift in the industry to healthier buildings entirely you know, from throughout the life cycle. So we're talking about that. That was, wow, isn't it amazing how the last five years has shifted completely? Mm-hmm. That we might also say that the incidence of asthma in children has declined because of these new healthier buildings. Yeah. Maybe even other diseases in children and, and other people has started to go down instead of up. Maybe even the life expectancy is going up instead of down. Mm. Maybe there are many of these new effective regenerative materials on the market like we just talked about, that there are now all this $5 billion has gone in to <laughs> understand how like, agriculture can make the newest insulation and that they sequester carbon in the meantime and actually that like, our global warming potential has gone down. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's many more kelp forests in the ocean that are being farmed to be the new ingredients for the next adhesives or next foams. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> like, anyway, that, so yeah. I think that's what's, you know, in five years we look back. And, you know, and that, of course, designers and architects are just obviously specifying less toxic, non-plastic-based products. So I think, you know, that's a big thing. But, you know, a small thing might be that there's an increased awareness that just we can associate a disease with exposure to the environment and not just to genetics, for example. That's just an understanding. We just know, oh, there's an exposure that's related to a condition we're having, that that correlation is more common sense than new information. Because then that, you know, that kind of understanding will change everyone's decision making. That's excellent. Let's hope, right? Here's to hoping. But also, here's to all the work that we do, right? You know, looking back on the progress that's been made already in the industry and educating our our colleagues and our counterparts, right, across the industry, that's step one, right? Just educating and then influencing, right? And then influencing how products are both manufactured and specified and and then the research I kind of feel is, is kind of the, the fourth part, right, of showing how those better manufactured or keeping these all of these aspects in mind will influence positively people's health. So, yeah, really, exactly. yeah. Well, really excellent conversation today, Jansar. So happy that you could join us on this podcast episode. Um, and yeah, thanks so much. 
Well, thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Likewise, it was great speaking with you. Okay. I feel like we could keep this banter yeah, going yeah, for, for sure. a long time. <laughs> and thank you for doing the work that you're doing to really you as make well. a difference. Yes, you guys as well. So again, we'll we'll link all of the resources for the lab and a lot of the, the great things that you've referenced today in the show notes uh, for all of our listeners. Great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Buildings and Beyond. Buildings and Beyond is produced by Stephen Winter Associates. We make buildings better. Learn more at swinter.com. Special thanks to Sarah for guest hosting and our guest, John Sara. Also, shout out to the Buildings and Beyond production team, Rob Aldrich, Kelly Westby, Heather Breslin, Ian Slackus, and Trisha Carr. See you next time on Buildings and Beyond.